Our sponsor today is Green Ronin Publishing. Green Ronin is a Seattle-based company dedicated to the art of great role-playing games. Since the year 2000, Green Ronin has established a reputation for quality and innovation that is second to none. If you're looking for exciting fantasy, look no further than Fantasy Age, where your heroic stunting can create the difference between a cinematic battle and a mundane encounter. Have a need to strap on a cape and fight the forces of evil? They do mutants and masterminds. Also available, the Expanse role-playing game based upon the hit book series. Green Ronin Publishing creates role-playing games, card games, and fiction for the very best in role-playing games and to forge your own path. Choose Green Ronin Publishing and become your own master. Find them at greenronin.com on all social media at Green Ronin Pub and wherever role-playing games are sold. And now, be sure to log in to GreenRoninStore.com. Using our affiliation code of GKHERO, you can save 5% off your total purchase of over 100 fantastic items, including role-playing games, card games, fiction, and much, much more. At GreenRoninStore.com. Use our affiliation code GKHERO to start your journey today. Brought to you by the power of the internet and fueled by imagination, this is Game Night Heroes. We toss dice and tell stories. The deeds of heroes await, and legends dare to be heard. This is Game Night Heroes. Hello and welcome to Game Night Heroes. We are the Game Night Heroes, and you can be too. Today we are continuing our adventures in Freeport by Green Ronin Publishing, a campaign setting for 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. Today we're taking a personalized look at one of our special heroes, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Arden Langelar himself, in this special intermission episode. But before we do that, before we begin to tell a exciting story where the outcome of which is determined by dice rolling, let's have our fellow players introduce themselves and let you know what they are all about. Take it away, gang. Oh, hi, I'm Rob, and I'll be playing... Oh, crap, I forgot my character's name. Hi, I'm Colleen, and I'll be playing here at Donza. I'm Aaron, and this episode's about me because it's an Arden-filled episode, so we're going to have a good time. And I'm Brittany, and I'll be playing Nisha. This is all very true. I'm Kevin. I'm the host and the dungeon master for this session, which means I get to play as everyone and everything else. So, let us dive into a specialized look at Arden. It was a dark and rainy day, the day that the brothers at the Soaring Wind Monastery, deep within the Iron Home Mountains on the continent, found the bundle. When they first found it, they were unaware of what it might be. Most strangers who come to the monastery do not actually bring 
packages and not announce themselves. So it was with a strange sense of wonder when they opened it. Inside was the last thing they would expect to see, a child, not much more than a few weeks old, a baby. Even at that age, he had very large and very noticeably unkempt brown hair. The child was a halfling, and this alone would have been enough to be interesting had there not been any other halflings that the brothers had not been fully aware of. But nearby, the only halfling member of the Order of the Soaring Wind, Katerina Kankleberry, looked on with a different sense than the others. Whereas the monks saw the infant as a sense of something interesting, something that had purpose, something that was a good omen, she looked on with a sense of dread. Her eyes narrowed as she regarded the child from afar as the monks brought him in. She was not aware how this would play out, but she knew that she would keep an eye on the infant. There was work to be done, and that night that the boy came to them, her thoughts were on her homeland. As the years passed, the baby grew into a young halfling, very small for his age, with wild, unkempt hair at all times. The boy was full of energy and full of excitement, and he oftentimes got himself into a little bit of mischief when perhaps he shouldn't have. On one bright, sunny morning, when the Soaring Wind Monastery is supposed to be broiled in its quiet contemplations, Arden, where do we find you today that kind of goes against the grain? Goes against the grain. I'm probably out in the orchard. Oh, excellent. Anything specifically you're doing out there? Um, probably climbing up trees, grabbing apples, just taking one bite and just dropping them. Right. I read one time that the first bite's the best bite, so <laughs> maybe you would just do that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, as you're climbing around and swinging from tree trunk to tree trunk, you hear a slight rustling in the tall grasses below you. There's something moving about and coming in your direction. What do you wish to do? I'm going to throw one of my apples at it. Okay. You take the apple and you chuck it towards the sound, and there is a bit of a thump sound as it hits something within the grass. There's a brief pause where nothing happens, and then a moment later, a rather large serpent slithers out of the grass in your direction. It curls around the base of the tree. Its tongue darts out back and forth as it looks up the tree to see you hanging from one of its branches. Its eyes seem to narrow as it regards you with an almost human-like look. The serpent then begins to rear itself back to stand almost erect as it starts to rise up to your level. It starts to hiss and snap as it draws attention to you. Do you want to do anything? I'm probably going to scream, like really high pitch. A high-pitched shrill shriek escapes you and rings out through the small valley where you are exploring today. The serpent continues to press the intimidating manner as it starts to rise even higher. Unnaturally so, you didn't know snakes could do something this scary. It starts to come up towards you, and you know this snake 
is more than likely about to strike out at you. You watched as one of the monks was actually bitten by a snake several years ago. It was very sad to see the pain and the death that came to him after. So you don't want anything like that to happen to you. So if you could, just roll a charisma check. All right, so roll the six, add two, two, and eight. Okay. You do start to quiver, and you do start to shake, and there is a fear about you as you start to worry that the snake is going to get you. Somewhere deep inside of you, there's a warming sensation. You're not sure what it is. What do you think you might do? Yeah, we're probably going to dig deep and find that weird magical swirl of magic that I've been feeling so long and cast a minor illusion. Okay. You reach down into that well, that tingling that you've had about you for as long as you can remember. There's been a great many times as you've grown up in the monastery that you've actually had to suppress that. The monks here are pacifists, and they have a very strict manner of no magic, no fighting, no arguing even. There's a great many of the elder brothers who don't even talk at all to avoid such conflict. But you, you've always been a little bit different than them in ways that you've never really fully understood. So you reach down into that deep well within you, as you mentioned, and you draw forth something different. You feel that energy, that tingling. You caress it almost as if it has physical form, and you pull it out of yourself. Unseen bands of fate and energy and magic as they dance about. And in front of you, what kind of illusion do you think accidentally appears when you cast this spell for the first time? Um, it's probably just going to be pretty much a little illusion of the same snake. Just going to be right in front of it. Okay. And as that energy is released from your fingertips, there is a shimmer as the air seems to dance and ripple as if something within it is being moved about. There is a tingling that washes over your features and your form and you feel a cold sweat break out across your brow. There is a, another ripple in the air ahead of you, and small little motes of light begin to appear and then coalesce into a serpent, almost nearly identical to the one ahead of you. And it rears up, matching the other serpent, move for move, almost like a mirror image, as it dances across. Your serpent, however, is a dark red color, almost as if made from blood or a ruby. And the serpent that you create snaps and hisses at the other serpent as well. If you could, go ahead and make a intimidation check. So it's a d20 plus 2. Oh, that one's a 16 plus 2, 18. Perfect. And the other serpent looks at your creation. And there's definitely a moment where it learns that this is a time where discretion is the better part of valor. And it slithers down back away from the serpent that you've created, slithers off into the grass, and is not seen again. The serpent that you create dances and moves for a bit. You watch it with surprise and horror. You've never done anything like this before. It's pretty exciting, though. It slowly turns in your direction. You unknowingly control it to do so. And you lock eyes with it. And then you hear a voice. What on earth do you think you are doing? The snake ahead of you snaps out of existence as you lose the concentration on it. 
and you look past the snake as it dissolves into red, glittery motes that dance across the ground as they dissipate, to see a aging halfling woman, Sister Katerina, who you know from your time here in the monastery. You've never interacted with her before. You've just seen her around, and you know that she, unlike some of the other brothers, is one who tends to be a little bit more opinionated. How do you feel about this woman when you see her right now? Probably going to just scream again. <laughs> just okay. grip onto the tree trunk and scream. All right. She startles you and you scream, and as you do so, you actually lose your gripping on the tree and try to catch yourself. If you could, roll a d20. Plus two at disadvantage. So basically you're rolling a dexterity save at disadvantage. Ooh. Plus two. That's a five. And your fingers and feet, you're always barefoot, slip off of the tree trunk and you begin to fall. It's about 15 feet down towards the ground, and you fall very quickly. But right when you're about to hit the ground, there suddenly is a slow to your movement. And then you suddenly stop and very casually land on the ground at the base of the tree. You look up in surprise, not being hurt, and you see Sister Katarina blink. And you swear in that brief moment that there is a deep purple light that dances across her eyes. She slowly steps forward to regard you. I suppose you thought that was all very funny and amusing, didn't you? I mean, I was pretty scared, so no, but I guess it could be funny. Her mouth curls into what can best be described as a frown, and she looks up to the air as if she's rather annoyed. How long have you been able to channel the magics? I don't know. I think that was my first time. I mean, I've always felt something rumbling deep inside of me. You know, sometimes it makes noises and comes out in weird ways, but that's the first time it ever worked, really. Hmm. Her eyes narrow for a moment. I see. What is your name, child? Uh, Arden. She nods. We have not formally been introduced. I am Sister Katerina. Katerina Kankleberry, to be completely formal. Know this. I don't believe I need to remind you that the monks here do not bode well with magics. They find them to be rather scary and intimidating in their own way. You are aware that you are not able to be practicing such things. Such things are frowned upon and are considered quite against the doctrines here. Yeah, I know. I think that's why I screamed. Or the snake as well. That was pretty scary. She looks back towards the grass, and she mutters something under her breath that you just barely hear. This serpent and perhaps the others. Arden, she says, turning her attention to you. What sort of studies do you have here at the Soaring Wind? Um, well, they teach me history. And they teach me table manners. That class always takes forever. <laughs> um, and then they also teach me how to sit in a room really quietly for long periods of time. Interesting. But they have not chosen another purpose for you here in the monastery. You are not to be one of the ledgers or to perhaps be one of the book binders. Mm, nope, they don't really let me touch the books. Not since the fire two years ago. Yes, I remember that, she says. 
Well, what I wish for you to do is starting tomorrow, at this very time, you will meet me here at this base of this tree, and I shall show you what it means to wield that power within you. Is that something that I can perhaps trust you with, Arden? Well, it's the first time anyone's trusted me with anything, so hopefully I'll do my best. She doesn't smile, although a normal person probably would. She just raises an eyebrow again as she turns to walk off. As she does so, you see her fingers twitch slightly, and then you feel yourself being picked up off of the ground and righted the right way so that you are standing back on your feet. As she walks off away from the tree, she says, Tomorrow, then, we shall begin your training. And she walks off. You meet Katarina the next day, as proposed. You find her at the base of the tree when you arrive, waiting impatiently for you. As you approach, she says, I believe I told you precisely at the time of which we met yesterday, not whenever you preferred, Arden. Is this to be too much for you? No, no, ma'am. I just got really hungry on the way here and had to make a pit stop. It, it, it won't happen again. I'll bring snacks later. I see. Well, I want to begin by doing what you did yesterday. You informed me that that minor illusion was the first casting of magic that you have ever made, and I wish to be sure that it is not something that is a fluke. So, do it again, she says, as she motions with a hand towards the grasses nearby. Okay, I can do this. Dig deep, dig deep. I'm going to stretch out my hand, both of them, and, like, start twisting them like I'm trying to do something. Got my eyes closed real tight, squinting, just like... Okay. Go ahead and roll a d20 for me, please. And it's a 10. Or it's an 8 plus 2, 10. Okay. You reach deep down within, and you try to grab onto that tingling that resides within your chest almost all the time. You try to pull that energy out like you did yesterday, and nothing seems to happen this time. You feel it's there, but you can't grab onto it like you did yesterday. So it doesn't seem to work. As you lower your hands in disappointment, from behind you you hear Katerina say, What is wrong? Is it not working? Nope, nope, it's it's uh, it's coming. It's just a little bit deeper. She begins to step forward towards you, and she says, Magic is always prevalent in people such as us, Arden. It is not something that is closer or nearer or farther or higher. It is something that resides within us. It is part of us. And therefore, it is not something we need to try to find. Rather, it is something that has already found us. Do it again. But this time, think about the fact that if you do not succeed... And she takes her walking stick and she holds it up in front of her, parallel to the ground. I will wrap your behind with this. Your eyes go wide for a moment. You know here in the monastery that violence is the most frowned upon action. So for her to openly say that she's going to beat you with a stick is pretty surprising to you. You've never seen any sort of violence committed against anyone else here at the monastery the entire 11 years you've been here. 
But you look at her, and you can tell that she is completely and totally serious with her threat. In fact, it seems less as a threat and more as a promise. What do you do? Gulp. That's going to be scary. Okay. This time, I'm not going to dig deep. I'm just going to be. Okay. You put your hands up again, and you try to feel deep down within you, and you let go of all of that. You feel your emotions rise up, the fear and the anger slightly of being disappointed from before, and you let that all fall away. If you could, please roll a d20 with advantage. All right, 14 plus 2, 16. And this time, like a spark of creation, a spark of inspiration, the magic comes. It starts within your chest, as it did before, a tingling and a warming sensation that passes out over your chest and down your arms until it reaches your fingertips. It releases, and directly in front of you, that large red serpent emerges once again, rearing up exactly the way it was yesterday. It sways at the edge of the grasses for a moment and seems to stand there, waiting your commands. From behind you, Katarina doesn't speak. She simply stands, looking at what you did. And eventually the serpent dwindles away. You turn to regard her, and you see not a look of approval or a look of pride, but rather, she's annoyed still. She has a dark look in her eyes. But when she notices that you're looking at her, she puts on a smile. Very good, she says. There's hope for you yet. Do it again, she says, and she motions back towards the grasses. Time goes by, and in private, Sister Katerina teaches you the ways of magic. First, she perfects the minor illusion that you casted accidentally that day to save yourself from the snake. She teaches you another trick as well, a way to imbue an item that you hold with magical light that blots out the darkness. It's pretty handy for those times where they make you mop the cellar. And as the weeks stretch into months, that stretch into seasons, that stretch into another year, Katerina begins to grow tolerable. She begins to grow as a true master to you. One who, although not warm, is accepting. And so it is without surprise that some time later that she actually begins to make your training a bit more intensive. She begins to try to actually teach you attack magics, illusionary magics, things that might be better suited for things not of the temple here. This entire time, of course, you've been doing this without the knowledge of the monks here, for it is not their way. You do notice in this time that when you guys are not training, she completely ignores you and acts as if she does not have any sort of connection with you if you do see her about the monastery. What do you feel about this woman as you guys are training together, as you're learning all this stuff? I don't know. I'm feeling pretty, pretty exhilarated. Just being able to kind of do some of this stuff. Get away with it. I feel sneaky. <laughs> yeah. So it is with a little bit of a sense of a teacher to a student that you actually do learn to respect her. And her ways are hard, but it's her ways. And 
it has results, you notice, so it's something that you've come to accept and you come to actually expect. One day, however, you arrive near the tree. It's early spring, and Katerina is not there the way she typically would be every day when you arrive. She always beats you there, but this day she does not. You wait for a moment, perhaps thinking it's some sort of test or some sort of trick, and still she doesn't come. She doesn't come for two days. What do you do? Do you still go to the to the tree, or do you do anything different if she stops showing up? So on the third day, I am going to start investigating, like looking around the monastery, seeing if I can't find anything. Mm-hmm. You start looking about the monastery. I mean, more or less look for her, like kind of ask around, see if people know where she might have been. I see. You walk around and you ask around for Katerina. You look for her specifically. And at first you don't find her, but one of the monks there does inform you with a rather confused look on his face that she is in her quarters and she has been in her quarters for several days. She hasn't taken meals and she has not come to these small meditative meetings that they all have. He points you in the direction of her room. Uh Uh-oh. All right. I'm going to go over to it. When you get there, the door is closed. And you walk up and you knock on the door. There was a long moment and then the door opens and she's standing there. She has a weird redness about her eyes as if she's been crying. She sees you and turns away for a moment. And when she turns back, her eyes look normal. Is there something that you needed, Arden? She says with a cold voice. Um, just... Wanted to see how you were doing. I haven't seen you in a little bit. There's nothing you should concern yourself with, Arden. And she looks about to make sure no one is watching that you came to her room specifically. I believe we are supposed to meet near the tree, not in my personal quarters. Come in, she says. She pushes the door the rest of the way open. Do you go in? Yes, I'll go in. As you enter within, you see a small and rather quaint room. There's a bed, a small desk, and several books upon the desk. You see that there is a map on the desk as well. It depicts a small series of islands that are different sizes and shapes, the largest of which has a city drawn out at the base of it, the southern coastline. Before you have a chance to read what it says, she flicks her hand and the map rolls up and obscures itself from your vision. So, what precisely did you need here, Arden? You are aware that I am your master, and not the other way around? I do not come to your beck and call. You are to wait for me to come to you. Okay, yeah, I just uh, wanted to make sure it was good, since, you know, it's been a couple days. Just wanted to make sure I didn't, like, make you mad or anything. I don't think I took anything of yours, so... Make me mad? No, Arden, you do not make me mad at all. Oh, okay, that's... I simply had some personal business that I had to try to address. Oh. She pauses for a moment as if she's expecting you to say or do something. Oh, well, I mean, is that something I, I, I can help with? You know, since I can, I can kind of do stuff now? She stares at you very evenly for a moment before she speaks, and when she does, she says, The world is a very large place, Arden. There will be a time where that large place grows smaller around you. 
a time when you will realize that your world is not this small little monastery. It's rather a place far larger and far scarier than anything that you have seen here. Will you be ready when you are called upon to defend that? When you are called upon to leave your comfort here and find a better way? Oh, jeez, I don't... I don't know, I never thought about that. I mean, like, sometimes I would look at the trees out past our trees and wonder what's up with those trees, like, if they're different or anything, but beyond those trees? Oh, wow. I don't know. Where I come from, Arden, there was a man. The man was quite powerful indeed. He had aspirations and dreams to do more with his power. And because of that, he convinced others to do what he wanted. Those others lied for him. They stole for him. They even attacked, murdered, and killed for him. Do you know what he gave them in return? Uh, money? He gave them punishment. He gave them slavery. He taught them that the price for diligence and for hard work was to simply be put down. How does this make you feel, Arden? Oh, it's... Yeah, I guess kind of bad. Like, I wouldn't want that. What would you say if I told you that you and I may have a need to go to this place and to make sure that this man is stopped? What would you say to that? If I told you that I had to take you away from this monastery, take you away from the only thing that you have ever known, the only comfort that you have ever had, and that the only payment that you would get in return would be the chance to perhaps not become one of his slaves. I mean, I don't... That doesn't sound like a good good thing to be that. So, I'm kind of guessing I don't have a choice. The magics within you, Arden, are not placed there by any man or any god. They have been given to you because you are chosen. Because your magic makes you different. Makes you special. And because of that, we need to be sure that you are ready for when the time comes that you must face the serpents that lie within the dark. The chosen Wait, did you say serpents? Oh, oh gosh, that's going to be bad. I don't I don't like snakes and stuff. Oof. Oof, are you sure that's me? Are you sure I'm the chosen one? She takes a deep breath, and then she pinches her nose for a moment. What I want is not truly important, Arden, nor what you want. When one has been chosen for a higher calling, that is what matters. Tomorrow... We will train again, and at that time, things will be very hard indeed. Now, lead me to my inner thoughts, Arden, and do not come to my quarters again. Go on. Okay, yes, ma'am. All right, I'll take off. Okay, you cross over to the door, and as you get to it, it opens on its own accord as you reach for it. You turn back to look at her, and you see her looking at you evenly. 
and you cross out of the door, and she closes it with her magic again. You stand for a moment outside of the door, and you look around, you see that two of the monks are actually standing nearby looking at you curiously, as if they're wondering why you're coming out of there. But when you meet eye contact with them, they just shrug and walk off. The next day, you arrive at the tree. And Katerina is there, as she said she would be. She has a very stern look on her face. You could tell that she has not slept over the night. And she looks rather severe indeed. As you approach, is there anything specific you want to do or say? Uh, nope, I'm just going to kind of pop up. I'm not going to question it. She seemed pretty intense the day before. Okay. As you approach, she takes a step forward. Are you ready for the next step of your training, Arden? Well, I thought long and hard about it. And yes. I can't let the snakes beat me. I have to be better than the snakes. She gives you a slow nod. Very well. In the next moment, I'm going to attempt to hurt you, Arden. And I want you to stop me. Do you understand? Oh, uh, okay. Are you ready? Yes. She gestures, and the top of her walking stick glows for a moment. And then there is a small bolt of dark purple energy that shoots out, splits into three parts, and all three of them slam and buff it into your chest, knocking you backward. You're not sure what this spell is, but you know that it just hurt. Your body is racked in pain as these magic missiles buffet off of your form, drive you down to your knees, and eventually you fall onto your side. She begins to gesture to cast the spell again. Do you do anything? Uh, ooh, that's painful. I'm I'm going to try to do some magic thing this time to stop that. Okay. That seems like a good idea. Okay. Go ahead and roll a d20, please. Oh, this one's an 18 plus 220. Oh, I like that. Okay. You reach down in within you, and you feel the magics take hold. You draw forth the illusion that you've practiced all these times before. And in front of you, a serpent appears, deep red, and it starts to swirl about as if trying to attack her. But she simply waves her hand, and it shatters and falls apart around you, dissipating as it hits the ground. Do better than that, Arden. That will not be enough. And she proceeds to gesture again, and the small little bolts of energy shoot out of the top of her staff again, fly towards you, and unerringly slam into your chest again. You start to lose consciousness at the corner of your vision, are small little sparkles and blackness that reaches in around the periphery of your vision. You can feel that much more of this, and she will, in fact, hurt you very, very bad. What do you wish to do? Oh, that's bad. Uh, I, I guess I can only try again. Okay. What are you feeling right now as she's doing this to you? What are you thinking about? Uh, this is This is pretty intense. This is not what I thought. But it's what's happening, so I got to deal with it. Okay. Go ahead and roll a d20 for me, please. Do you try to stifle those emotions, or do you do anything different, or what is it you try to do specifically? No, I guess I'm just going to let them happen. They're there. You give in to the emotions this time. You let them wash over you. You can let them take over your senses, your thoughts. 
And then you feel something within you stir. Go and roll another d20 for me, this time with advantage. All right. All right, so 18. 18. And within you, you feel that connection, that fire that burns within your soul. You touch it, grasp it, and you pull it forth again. This time on the ground, as she readies to shoot another wave of magic missiles at you, you feel something different. The air around you starts to lose some of its light, as if it is being smothered somehow. And you can see that around your hands, there are motes of prismatic energy that start to swirl, form into a ball in your hand. You can feel the energy take form, and right as it's about to fully turn into a ball of chaos energy, there's something that you see for a brief moment. A giant eye of sorts in the air between you and Katarina that snaps open. A large serpent's eye. And at that moment, you lose control of the spell. You feel the chaotic energies fly up as the bolt, the ball, shoots out of your hand, streaks directly towards Katarina, and the eye closes again. So you cast Chaos Bolt. What's the uh, damage on that? Yeah, it's 2d8 plus 1d6, and (laughs) when I rolled it, it was pretty bad. It was only an 8. The Chaos Energy, the Prismatic Swirl, shoots forward, and as it hits her, you see her stumble backward, drop her walking staff as the energy slams into her chest. She falls to her knee, you're surprised to see, and some of her hair, always kept up in that bun that she has, falls loose, a strand cutting across her eyes. She breathes heavy for a moment, and then her eyes dart back towards you. Her face goes white. Please roll a d100 for me, Aaron. For a wild magic surge. Ooh, alright. We got a 28. Oh, this is something new. You can feel the energy that you reached for within, the energy that powers your spells, is closer. You can feel that energy tingling all over your body. And you look down in surprise to see that you are glowing with a red, vibrant energy as the magics, the wild magic that courses through your soul, burn around you and dance in the afternoon light. For the next minute, all spells that you cast that have a casting time of one action now have a casting time of one bonus action. Ooh. I feel like that would be something a little bit more useful. Oh well. She starts to stand, and you can see that the staff flies back into her hand. And it starts to charge up as if she's going to cast the spell again. What do you do? Because you are burning with that energy, you can move faster than she can for a brief moment. Uh, Alright, this time I'm going to cast a minor illusion and make it look like I'm a little bit closer to her, so she misses. You connect to that energy because it's right there on the surface. You connect to it rather quickly and create an image of yourself that is just directly in front of her within grasping range, and she loses her concentration for the moment as you startle her, and the magic goes wide and dances off into the afternoon light. It's your turn. What would you like to do? All right, this time I'll do a chaos bolt, and I'm not going to, like, target her, though. I'm just going to, like, shoot it at the ground in front of her. 
Okay. You feel that prismatic energy dance around you again, and you control it, you grasp it, you form it, this time more controlled, into a ball in front of you. The chaos energy swirling about as if you are playing a game. You throw it, overhand, with all of your might. It streaks forward, and it slams into the ground at her feet, spraying dirt and grass all over her. You start to step forward, channeling that magic, feeling it burn through you, and you start to cast a spell again when she yells out, Enough! Enough, Arden! Do you stop, or do you keep going? Yeah, I'll stop. You stop with another one of these chaos bolts forming in your hand. You look down, and you see the chaos that you've caused at the ground, and you let it go. That connection still thrums through you. You're shaking almost with all the power you can feel coursing through you. Her eyes are wide, terrified almost. You've never seen her like this before. And then she does something you've never seen her do before, ever. She gives you an approving nod. She slowly gets to her feet, leaning on the walking stick. Good. Good, she says. And she places a reassuring hand on your shoulder. A true moment of comfort this woman gives you. How does that make you feel? I've never had parents before. This must be what it's like to have parents. I think she's my mom now. I don't, I don't, I don't know if I should call her mom, though. I don't know if she would like that. And the two of you stand there in that moment. The next day, when you arrive at the tree, Katarina does not appear. And you take her advice. You wait for a day, and then another, then three, a week, and even close to two weeks, waiting for your master to come to you, when she doesn't come. What do you wish to do? Hmm. It's been a little extra too long this time. I'm, uh, I guess I'm going to go kind of search for her again. Okay. Where do you start? Uh, I'm going to start with her rooms this time. Okay. Arden, you make your way to Katarina's quarters, and when you arrive, you see that the door is closed, much as it was the other time you arrived. You knock on it, and there's no answer. You knock again, and still no answer. And the third time you begin to knock, and the door actually cracks open from the impact of you hitting it. It just kind of opens on its own accord. Hmm. Well, this seems a little dirty of me, but I'm going to peek in there. You look inside, and you can see the room is relatively unchanged. The bed is still there, as is the desk. But the personal effects that she had throughout the room, the books, her cloak, her walking stick her maps that you noticed that one time when you came in, are all gone. It's as if she's never been here at all. There's a nearby monk passing behind you in the hall, and he looks at you strangely as you're looking inside the room. Then he shrugs and continues walking. It would seem that your master is truly gone this time. You're not sure when she will return. Hmm. Well... I guess I could just stay here with these monks who don't do no nothing. 
or I could go out beyond the trees and see what's past them. It's probably going to be more trees, but what's beyond those trees? Maybe that weird map she had will tell me where to go. The map is not there, but you remember it enough. A small chain of four islands that you could guess from the way the map did look were to the east of the continent where you live. That's a good place to start. It might be a long journey, but it's one that you're willing to take to find your master. Well then, I better get started. I gotta sneak my way into the library to figure out maybe a little bit more about this. They they don't let me back in, so... <laughs> right, since the fire. Yeah. Excellent. Roll stealth test for me, please. As a 16. Perfect. You do sneak your way into the library, and you get to the section of the library that deals with geography and maps and things of that nature. And you spend the better part of an hour sifting through them and looking for something that matches what her map looked like. A clue as to where she might have gone. And you do find something. A map of an island chain to the east of the continent of which you live. A set of islands known as the Serpent's Teeth. They're not very populated. In fact, it looks like out of the four islands, there's only a city on one of them on the southern shore and coastline of the largest of the four islands, a city called Freeport. Well, it looks like that's where I'm heading. Off for a grand new adventure. Maybe I'll meet people. Maybe I won't. Maybe they'll be buttheads. I don't know. But <laughs> we're going to get there. Indeed you will. Indeed you will. With the conclusion of this tale, this intermission comes to a close. Act 3 of the Freeport Trilogy is now set to begin. Thank you for listening to the Game Night Heroes. The tale continues another time. This was Freeport, Episode 21, Tale of the Halfling. Please subscribe and give us a review. It helps new listeners find us and take the journey along with you and with us. We can be found on all social media at Game Night Heroes. Please be sure to follow us for updates and for new information. We can also be found at GameNightHeroes.com. The Game Night Heroes is hosted and game mastered by Kevin Stacy. Victor Reed is played by Rob Alexander. Irodanzo Orame is played by Colleen Alexander. Arden Langalar is played by Aaron Regner. Nisha Lycoania is played by Brittany Stone. The Freeport Trilogy was created and published by Chris Premus and Green Ronin Publishing. Logo design and podcast cover art for the Game Night Heroes was created by Josh K. Music is from various artists and appears from Pixabay. Please feel free to message us at GameNightHeroesContact at gmail. We'd love to hear from you.
This has been a presentation of the game Night Heroes. Until next time, keep dreaming your impossible dream. Hey, did you like what you just heard? Well, if so, you can also journey into the realm of Freeport by visiting greenroninstore.com. There, you can find all of your Freeport needs and all of the different adventures, supplements, and rule sets that you'll need to vanquish the forces of the Far Realm in a pirate town once gone legit. Form your own adventures at greenroninstore.com. Use our affiliation code GKHERO to save on your purchase. Thanks for listening.